Hey everyone, Pastor Craig here, and we are in for another edition of In the Weeds, uh, a podcast that um, includes things that really should never make a sermon, um, and so are on kind of the cutting room floor of our sermon series. Uh, we are in the book of Ephesians, and there's a number of things that start to come up in the passage that we talked about last week, which was Ephesians chapter 1, 3. Chapter one, verse three through fourteen. This um, this barakah, the blessing um, that is in the beginning of Ephesians. And so, um, as we go through, we, we probably the first few verses in this give us a sense of what this is. Um, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then we have, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. And then it says, in love, he predestined us for adoption. And this idea of choosing, predestining, we noted that all throughout this passage, there is a lot of God choosing or doing according to his will, according to his good pleasure, um, that he has purposes. In verse 9, he purposed his good pleasure, uh, that he has this planned arrangement um, and even this word predestined, um, that is this idea of being decided beforehand. It also occurs in verse 11, and that God does this according to his own purposes and according to the intention of his will. And so we can't, um, <laughs> we want to talk a little bit on this about the idea of election, predestination, um, God's choice of us. When does that happen? And how does that happen? Why does God choose some, perhaps, and not others? And what is the relationship with salvation and God's election, as well as, um, you know, the the correlation of damnation according to what God's choice is as well? So, anyway, as you can tell, this is a topic that um, that tends to get a little bit of run and has been um, one of those. How you answer this question has divided denominations, and so. What I want to do is um, I just want to walk through some of the the thinking around it. Um, But as per usual, I will start the podcast by simply saying what my particular view is, and then you can forego the next 25 minutes of explanation if you'd like. So I am what we would call an infralapsarian Calvinist, okay? So that would mean I I have my base in the Reformed tradition— and I hold that God elects based on his own good pleasure, but um, based on nothing that we have done, but also that God um, God will um, damn people, that he'll send them to hell, um, not based on his own good pleasure, but based on their sin. So that is what an infralapsarian Calvinist would hold. So I'm going to talk through, so what I'm going to, so if you're done, if you like turn this on and you're like, look, that's all I need to know, and that makes sense to you, and it's not like speaking a foreign language. Um, that's great. Turn this off. Have a great day. Go get a cup of coffee. Um, if you do, I'm going to walk through. I'm going to continue on. I'm going to walk through what is the difference between Calvinism a more, or a more Reformed tradition and Arminianism, which is more what we call a Wesleyan tradition. And um, what are the various tenets of each of them and how they deal with the issue of election and how that then affects um, the rest of their um, the rest of their systems? And then what are some of the um, nuances within each system that we have to account for in this day and age? All right. So if you've made it this far, awesome. Uh, if you haven't, then you don't know. Okay. Uh, that you haven't made it. <laughs> 
this far. Let's keep going. Let's go. So if we're going to start anywhere, um, we're going to start historically. Um, if we were going to start historically, we'd start with Paul, and then we'd move to Augustine, um, as well as Thomas Aquinas. And um, we would eventually end up with the reformer um, Jean Calvin, who was a Frenchman. Um, and so it's not John Calvin, it's Jean Calvin. <laughs> um, he is, he's French, but he ends up in Geneva, Switzerland. Um, because the, the Reformation never really takes on like um, in France. Like if you are a reformer in Germany, um, you become Lutheran because you follow Luther. If you're a reformer in England, you become Anglican. But if you're a reformer in France, you become dead. Um, <laughs> like, like the Reformation, uh, if you're a reformer in France, you flee the country. Um, not uh, Nothing against the French, but, um, but Calvin ends up in um, Geneva, Switzerland. And um, like Augustine, Calvin uh, has a theological system that is um, very much focused on the sovereignty of God. And so in this debate, you have these two poles, two, think of, think of each side of the room. One side of the room, there's the sovereignty of God. God makes decision, decisions. God does what he wants. And on the other side of the room, there is the idea of human freedom, free will, the, of real self-determining free will. And that these two things, the divine sovereignty and human freedom, that those two things— um, can be a little bit in conflict, and philosophically, the question about, do you have to give up one in order to have the other? And uh, can you have both? Can you have to, do you have to give up one to have the other? Um, that's what really this debate kind of centers around, so that's what we're going to talk about. Um, so let's start with Calvin. Calvin has a system um, that is what is called a, a five-point Calvinistic system, or what we call the TULIP, and the TULIP is an acronym, and each of those letters, T-U-L-I-P, um, if you haven't heard this before, maybe you have heard this before if you've been around the church for any amount of time. Um, but essentially, it starts with this idea of total depravity. T. Give me a T. Um, no, I'm just kidding. T for total depravity. It's a weird cheer from a high school uh, football game. So give me a T for total depravity. Um, so the idea of total depravity is um, as a result of Adam's fall, the entire human race is affected. So all humanity has um, has both... Um, has both inherited a sinful nature and is sinful. And so all of humanity is dead in their trespasses and sin. Therefore, uh, human humans are unable to save themselves. So total depravity. And not so that doesn't mean that we're utterly depraved, that we cannot do any good thing, um, but that when it comes to salvation, so it, it means basically that every part of a, of a human being is tainted by sin. Um, if you drop a, a dropper of ink into a glass of water, that that one drop of ink taints the water. It's not a glass of ink. It's water tainted by ink. Does that make sense? That's that's Calvin's view about total depravity and that every human being that's born into the world is born into the world under that total depravity, regardless of what that, that they are. They inherit a sinful nature. And so they come out of the womb sinful and responsible for their sin because they are they are in their forebearer of Adam they are he, he's either their representative or that he is biologically that 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 sin nature gets biologically passed on that's Augustine believes biological passed passed on Calvin believes in federal headship so anyway total depravity okay therefore if everyone is totally depraved point number 2 you give me a you is unconditional election which means 
that because man, uh, humanity is dead in sin, he's unable to initiate any response to God. Therefore, in eternity past, according to Ephesians, before the foundation of the world, that God elected certain people to salvation. And that the reason he does that is based on his own good pleasure. It's not based on human response. It's not based on human goodness. It's based on God's own good pleasure. That election is unconditional. There's no condition that humans can fulfill that causes God to look to them positively, okay? Or that causes God to look at them and because of that reason, elect them. So election is unconditional. This is going to be probably the main difference between uh, Calvinism and Arminianism is um, Arminius will look at election as based on foreknowledge rather than being unconditional election, okay? So all that to say, Calvinists say total depravity and then unconditional election. And based on that, then um, Calvin keeps going on and he says, well, when God provides an atonement, limited atonement, he provides atonement for the elect alone. Um, And that um, when he calls people, he calls them by irresistible grace um, or the idea of effectual calling. So um, that's irresistible grace, that whoever God elected, Christ died for, God draws them. uh, They eventually come to him based on um, the effectual calling uh, that he— so even the willingness to come to God is from God. Um, And then finally, number point five of the tulip is perseverance of the saints. And because God has done all this, God will keep those— whom he has drawn to himself. So those are the five points of Calvinism, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. And we just want to like land on the unconditional election part because it, it talk, that's where we start in this debate, unconditional election. Okay. Now, a little bit after Calvin, you have some folks that come along and they are, um, uh, they're Calvinists in their day, but they are they they're questioning something. So, like a man like Jacob Arminius, and so um, that brings us to um, what we call Arminianism. Okay, um, by the way, um, Armenians are from Armenia. Arminians are followers of the system of Jacob Arminius, who is a um, uh, 15th century, a 16th century reformer. Okay, so Arminianism. Okay, Arminius has um, five articles of faith and doesn't really make a, an acronym, so bear with me here. Um, but his first one is this, and it basically talks about um, Arminius is going to focus much more on, whereas Calvin focuses on the sovereignty of God and the sovereign choices of God. Arminius says, "Well, is is not do not humans have a free choice in the matter of following after Jesus?" Do you not have a free choice when presented with the gospel to follow after Jesus? And so um, Arminius takes his system, um, and uh, and he begins—well, by the way, just those two systems, um, one thing to note about them is they both start from different perspectives. The Calvinistic perspective starts from a view from God's point of view. Um, and ask what is the salvation process from God's in God's mind, and then the Arminian view um, sort of takes the perspective of um, from a human um, anthropological um, perspective and a starting point, just the phenomena phenomenological idea of how does someone come to faith from a human experiential point of view. Um, but here's where he starts. He says this that that election election 
is based on foreknowledge. Election is based on foreknowledge. And he would look at a passage like even in like a, a passage like Ephesians chapter one is it works very well in a Calvinistic understanding that um, that we are predestined. Um, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And Arminians do believe that um, that uh, that election is based on foreknowledge. Um, and I should say this, it just some of the adherents of Calvinism and Arminianism, I'm sorry I'm bouncing back and forth here. Um, if you're Calvinistic or more Reformed, this is more of a Presbyterian. Um, anything with Reformed in the title of the denomination or Presbyterian, I think Southern Baptist might be more um, reformed in this perspective, um, like Gospel Coalition is definitely reformed, um, and so um, and as we get an Arminianism, like modern adherence to Arminianism, um, would be more like um, Methodist, Wesleyan, um, anything that branched off of Wesleyanism, such as like Nazarene or um, uh, any like uh, modern Pentecostal movements, um, charismatic tends to be more Arminian in its, um, in its, uh, in its holdings. And so, um, that, those are just a couple of adherents, but Arminius, as he thinks about, um, election, he says election is based on foreknowledge. And he looks at like a verse, um, something like from first Peter and first Peter, um, it says, it talks about, um, first Peter one, one, uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion in Turkey, essentially, according according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Christ to Jesus Christ for the sprinkling of his blood. So this idea that um, those who are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, and the way that Arminius deals with this, the way he looks at this, is to say that, um, that okay, election takes place before the foundations of the earth. So but before the foundations of any, any, before anything's ever created, God, in his, in his eternality, looks into the future. And as he looks into the future, he looks into the future and he sees people that, if given the opportunity to respond in faith to the gospel, they do. And there are some that do and some that don't. And based on that foresight or that foreknowledge, what Arminius calls foreknowledge, that based on that foreknowledge of who will accept Jesus or who will respond in faith, that in eternity past, he elects. So with Arminius, he kind of takes this time issue and he says, God in eternity past is not bound by time. He looks into the future and he sees who will respond in faith. And those are the people that he elects. So that election is based on foreknowledge. Now, what that means, what that means for Arminius is that fast forward to your birth, the day you're born. Um, Arminius says that, look, um, well, I, I guess the idea is this, what, fast forward to Jesus. Jesus comes and he provides an atonement that is for all, that the, the atonement is unlimited, that it goes out to everyone. It's not limited only for the elect. It's, it's out there for everybody. And um, it'll be limited at the end, but because only certain people will take advantage of it, but it is unlimited when it is offered. Um, now, this is where then Arminius gets to his idea of hum- human uh, sinfulness, and that is, rather than total depravity, he calls it natural inability. And it's a natural inability. Every, every baby is born with a natural inability to think, will, or do anything good. And that um, 
And one of the differences you might say between Calvinists and Arminians is um, when, when babies are born under a Calvinistic understanding is they are born with a sinful nature and they inherit the guilt of Adam. For Arminians, um, babies are born with the sin nature for sure, um, but they do not inherit guilt until they commit an act of sin on their own, okay? Um, of their own will, of their own free will, they commit an act of sin. And that's where you get like the uh, arguments about like the age of accountability, that um, people, that babies can't be held responsible until they actually commit an act and they can't commit an act of sin until they have a will to do so. And that's where you get arguments about the age of accountability and whether that is like two years old or four years old or 12 years old. Um, th- those are the ideas about age of accountability. But you, will, you won't hear a Calvinist talking about age of accountability because every baby that's born is not only sinful but guilty because they've inherited guilt. Um, in Arminians, uh, babies that are born are sinful, but they are not guilty of sin until they commit an act of their own will. So that's the difference between um, Calvin and Arminian, Arminius there. So, okay, so election is based on foreknowledge. It's an unlimited atonement, natural inability. And here's where Article 4, that uh, because of that, God gives a prevenient grace. Grace is given. So there's a, there's a general grace based on the death of Jesus that goes out to all human beings that um, even though you're sinful and you might even be guilty of sin, that God makes it so that when you hear the the offer of salvation, he brings your faculties up to a level where you can make your own choice. You can decide. And that choice, that decision, is what God looks from eternity past on in order to elect you um, from eternity past. Okay? So that pre- it's called prevenient grace. It's called prevenient grace. It's different than what we would call common grace. We can talk about that in a different one. We are already deep in the weeds here, everybody. I hope you're appreciating that. Um, anyway, prevenient grace. When everyone hears the gospel, they are able to respond because God has given them kind of a boost of grace. Everybody has gotten that. The, the Holy Spirit has given them this boost of grace. And then um, because th- whether they can make a decision to follow Jesus or not. And then usually in the in the Arminian um, perspective that because you can choose to receive salvation, you can also choose not to have salvation. And so the idea that perseverance is conditional, that you can fall away from your faith um, and lose your salvation. And so um, you don't you don't hear that as much in, say, like a Presbyterian setting as much as you might hear it in like a Methodist Wesleyan or a, um, a Nazarene kind of um, uh, situation. So, so those are the two. Those are the two models: uh, Calvinist and Arminian. There are some nuances within that, um, within each of those things. Um, and Arminianism has been. Um, uh, there's today there are actually um, people who've moved beyond Arminianism, Arminianism to the idea of um, what we call openness theology, and it's a view about that God um, does not have exhaustive foreknowledge about the future. That human freedom is so potent and God is so interested in human freedom that um, he has made it so that not even God can know the free actions of every human being and anticipate all those free actions. He can anticipate some, but he doesn't have exhaustive divine foreknowledge. We're, we're not going, like, uh, that's that's out a little bit outside the pale of what I would think is, is orthodox, to be quite honest, um, but um, I do know that openness theology is, is it has been a big thing maybe about um, 10, 15 years ago. It was a big debate and is probably even out there today. Um, but let me talk a little bit, since I am of more of the reform persuasion, let me talk about how I deal with my 
particular form of Calvinism. By the way, Ephesians 1 is a good passage if you want to talk about um, predestination or, or um, election. We talked about 1 Peter chapter 1. Um, another good one is Romans 8. Uh, 29 or Romans 9 15 through 21 these are these are really there's a there's a there's a list of um, of passages that might um, come to bear in this whole thing but let me let me just talk about the way um, the way I think is the way that I have come to deal with this um, and um, what one of the things is to look at this idea um, so I, I do identify as a Calvinist um, uh, reformed in my soteriology uh, the doctrine of salvation. Um, but I do think that there is a difference of um, there's a there's a debate. It's called the Lapsarian debate. Um, then the, in the Lapsarian debate, it is a debate about the logical orders of decrees in salvation. So every view, whether you're Calvinist or Arminian, you believe that election takes place before the foundations of the world. That God elects, He has a plan, and that plan, whether it's based on foreknowledge or foresight, or whether it is based on His own good pleasure happens before the foundations of the world. The question is, how does God logically work it out? Okay? And here's, there's an order of decrees. There's there's four things that happen here. Um, so creation, there's creation, there's election, there's the fall, the permission of the fall, and then there is salvation, the providing of salvation. So those four things, um, creation, election, fall, and salvation. So um, if you're writing these things down, um, and the, the question is, what order does God think about those things? Um, so uh, cre- creation, election, um, and sal- fall and salvation, okay? So if we were talking about kind of the, the caricature of Calvinism that really turns a lot of people off about Calvinism, it is this. That um, before anything ever happens, God elects. So the first thing that you would have in and this is what we call a supralapsarian Calvinistic understanding, or what we might call double predestination. That election is before all things. God in his mind is like, I want to elect a people to myself. I want to get a people for myself. And so he says, if I'm going to have a people for myself, I have to create those people. I have to create humanity. And I create humanity because I've already elected. I create both elect and reprobate. In other words, I create some for heaven and some for hell. It's what we call double predestination. And then he says, okay, then I'm going to have to, if I'm going to create them, I'm going to permit the fall and there's going to be a fall. It's going to be over everything. And then I'm going to provide salvation for the elect alone. Cause I'm not going to provide salvation for the reprobate, I've already reprobated them, so I'm not going to provide that for them. I'm going to, they're going to hell. So I'm providing this for um, for believers. So that's that's what we call um, supralapsarian Calvinism, okay, or double predestination. And it um, there might you might find some that really um, land in this. This is also what we would call hyper Calvinism is another way of talking about this. Um, and it's kind of the caricature of Calvinism that maybe turns a number of people off, okay? On the other hand, there is what we would call, um, what we call sublapsarian, um, well, uh, sublapsarianism would say this. In God's, um, in God's mind, what he does is he creates, his first thing is, hey, I'm going to create a world. I'm going to create a world. And, um, 
I'm in that creation, I'm going to create a world, I'm going to create humanity, okay? And then what I'm going to do, because I'm going to create this humanity with um, freedom of will, I'm going to permit the fall. Um, I'm going to permit the fall. The fall is going to happen because um, humans um, have free will, and they're going to they're going to fall. I'm going to permit that. And then um, because I'm going to permit the fall, then I'm going to provide salvation that is sufficient for all. Sufficient. It'll be a salvation that's sufficient for all. But after I provide that salvation, I'm going to choose some to receive that salvation. So election, election in, in sublapsarianism happens at the end, not at the very beginning. So supralapsarianism, double predestination, election is the very first thing on God's mind. Sublapsarianism, election is the last thing on God's mind. That's why supra is at the, very, at the beginning and sub is at the end. Okay, um, sublapsarianism is essentially an Arminian position. Okay, now there is a there's a there's a mediating view, and this is my view on this, and that is what we call infralapsarianism. Infralapsarianism, and it basically goes like this: God's mind before the foundation of the world is, hey, my first thought is I want to create, I want to create a world, I want to create humanity, um, I I I want to create, and if I create people with free will. I, I'm going to create people with free will. Adam is going to have free will. And if he doesn't, I'm going to have to allow the fall because I can't, I, he has to, there have to be choices and choices have to have consequences. Anyway, I'm going to permit the fall. Okay. So it's creation first and then fall. Um, and then because there's a fall and because the fall is so pervasive, um, and and um, that the fall is so corrupting that God has to provide an election. He has to elect some people, um, but he elects some, and he he takes he elects some but not others. Now here's the deal. Here's the important thing about infralapsarianism. Election happens logically after the fall. It doesn't happen before the fall. See, if election happens before the fall, like superlapsarianism, then why do people get saved? It's because of the good pleasure of God. But why do people go to hell? It's because of God is the one who said they go. They're born to die. They're born to go to hell. In infralapsarianism, you still have the idea that God elects. He snatches some out of the fire. He elects based on his own good pleasure. But people are going to people are going to experience damnation not because god has chosen them to that it's because of their own choices that the fall precedes election so it's it's election is based is unconditional election and if there's anything that's based on foreknowledge it is damnation that damnation would be pl- based on foreknowledge that it is because we have done something that we experience the punishment of God in uh, in um, essentially in hell, but heaven is based on nothing that we have done, but only in what God has chosen. And so, this idea of it's not double predestination; it's election; it's unconditional election, but it is reprobation or or damnation um, that is based on people's choices. So, one of the questions that um, that people ask me is like, and I had this question on Sunday is, do you believe that people have free will? And I say, well, um, I, I think we do have freedom to make d- 
decisions and freedom to make choices. But according to my view of human sinfulness, we don't have the we don't have the freedom to choose to do the right thing all the time. We are sinful. And so because we are sinful and we are corrupted that way, we do not have the freedom to choose good all the time. Um, that we hit a ceiling on that or that there or we cannot make any good choices. Um, but we, what we can choose freely of is a lot of bad stuff. We have free choices about all kinds of bad things. And um, and in my understanding that we do that we need the grace of God in order to choose what is right. We need God's grace in order to choose what is right. And so this is why I hold to an infralapsarian view of a more Calvinistic understanding, because I don't think that, uh, I mean, and this is, I all I, I would say this, um, even though I am a Calvinist and I am an infralapsarian Calvinist, um, I have many friends who are Arminians, and I don't think that they don't love Jesus or they don't think that God is sovereign. I think that they are trying to account for human experience, and I appreciate their thoughtfulness in that, but um, uh, I don't agree with them theologically, but I don't think they don't love Jesus. So that's an important thing to note. Also, within the um, within the Evangelical Free Church of America, um, the Evangelical Free Church has chosen to be silent on this matter, believing that um, there can be differences of opinion on this matter, even at the level of leadership teams. So um, they have chosen to be silent on the matter because they believe that this is an area where um, where real believers can indeed agree to disagree. Um, and this is why I'm making this podcast to show that there are there are real differences of opinion as we go deeper into the weeds, um, but that they— um, and I do think with teaching, you're going to hear from me a more Reformed approach to, um, to God's salvation purposes as— um, and so, and there will be nuances to that, and as we go through. But I do think that this um, makes, in my estimation, it makes the best sense of the scriptural evidence for what God has done, as well as I think um, uh, just experientially how we understand salvation. Um, I don't. It doesn't answer every question, to be quite honest. Um, but I do think it's a place to start. There is a great. I think there is a great mystery in this matter about human freedom and divine sovereignty and how this all works. Um, it is what we call um, the—it's wrapped up in what we would call a larger—the um, problem of evil, and um, how do we account for evil in our world if God is um, all-powerful, then how—and he is not—how do we account for evil in the world um, if God is all-powerful? And that is—it's that's a, a question called the problem of evil, and it's really tied up in this idea of God's sovereignty— um, as well as election in that matter. So these things are all tied together, but um, that I, is at least a little bit of a primer on um, on um, election and predestination and Calvinist and Arminian understandings and um, the difference between double predestination, Calvinism, or hyper-Calvinism, and um, what we would call uh, an infralapsarian Calvinistic view um, as well as Arminian views and what we called open theism um, and openness theology. So anyway, um, there you have it. If you have any questions, you can talk to me. But again, if you've made it through this far, um, brownie points. You get a gold star in your Bible if you made it this far. Um, and just by the way, this is this is a little bit of a snippet from my undergrad theology lectures um, on um, 
uh, soteriology as well as um, as well as theology proper as we talk about the decrees of God. But um, uh, but anyway, hope that was helpful. And um, if it wasn't, come talk to me. Um, but that is this is this again. This is the in the weeds podcast. This is not going to make it into the sermon. We're not going to spend thirty minutes on infralapsarianism, right? So um, that's why we want to have this medium so that we can go a little bit deeper into the weeds um, for those who might be interested. All right, hope that was helpful, and I'll see you guys on Sunday.